Welcome and happy Friday. This is Travelogue Podcast. I'm Condé Nast Traveler, and I'm here in the Condé Nast Podcast studios with Meredith Carey, Catherine Legrave, and Lali Arikoglu, all of whom are editors for the Condé Nast Traveler website and occasionally other things. And we're going to talk today, it is road trip season. We're in a spot in the middle of summer, and that's when everybody gets out and hits the road. Not that you can't do it other times a year, maybe we can talk about that, but people are out there, they're doing it. And we've talked in the past about how the road trip is an American phenomenon. We've talked about why that is. And then we've talked a little bit about how that has become a global phenomenon. But today, uh, I thought it would be great if we could go and look at some of the sort of most exciting or iconic road trips in the United States. Some of these will be known, some of these will be less known. But maybe we can give people some tips about how to do them better or the right way. And maybe uh, we can take geography as our roadmap. (laughs) Sorry. And I'm jet lagged. Um, (laughs) And start, but we'll we'll do geography in reverse. We'll go west coast to east coast. So why don't we start with California? This is an iconic one. I haven't done it in many years, and I don't know that I've ever done it quite the way that it should be done. So, Lala, you were just out in California. Did you go north to south or south to north? Uh, South to north. Okay, so L.A. to San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And you got a chance to drive on the newly reconstructed or completed PCH. Yeah, it only reopened after being severely damaged from landslides. Was it last summer they happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, we got to drive up it when it was the tarmac was fresh (laughs) was it tarmac i don't know whatever roads are made from this is like a really great reminder that lala is a perennial passenger because she doesn't actually know how to drive can't drive (laughs) which i think i bet you do but you're just pretending you don't that would be a great great play on everyone wouldn't it very inconvenient trick for myself but for you i mean like you got to spend the whole time sending really, really enviable Instagram shots from your vacation because you got to be in the passenger seat the whole time. What did you guys, like, what was your itinerary? So we had a few days in LA first because I secretly love LA. And And it was Lolly's birthday. And it was my birthday. Okay, so the whole reason why we did the trip. (laughs) 45. Oh, man. Dagger stairs. Just kidding. It's only because I was turning 30. It's all feeling all too real. Mind you, that was Catherine's first words of this entire podcast. It's also a joke that Catherine has made many times since my birthday. I'll pass her in the hallway and she'll go, 45, not a day over. Looking good. (laughs) Nothing wrong with 45, by the way. Sorry, Lale. Sorry, Brad. (laughs) God, it gets meaner. Meaner and meaner. Um, Yeah, so it was my 30th birthday, and it was a trip that I've wanted to do for a very, very long time since before I moved to the U.S. Because it is such an iconic trip, and it, you know, I think for a lot of people that aren't from here, it is one of those trips that you you picture in your head as like the ultimate American experience. And I'd wanted to do it for so long and had never got around to doing it once I was here. So I was like, okay, I'm turning 30. This is like the perfect excuse to do a sort of, in quotes, bucket list trip. Do you consider LA to be part of the road trip? You kind of do spend a lot of time in the car. I do because you drive so much. Yeah. Um, so, and so talk about LA a little bit. What was your, what was your highlights? Oh God, I, I ate. Mm-hmm. So, well, the restaurant scene in LA is incredible right now. I went to Night and Market that I feel I feel like everyone is talking about. I went to the, I think it's their third outpost that they just opened in Venice. And it was the best Thai food I've had in the US by far. It was absolutely delicious. Wow. And it also is just such like a fun, buzzy place to go. And um, one of the interesting things I noticed when I was in LA that I hadn't seen a couple of years ago when I was there was the presence of bird scooters. <laughs> oh. Scooter mania. Yeah. Scooter mania. The way I could tell walking up to a restaurant if there was going to be a long wait is because you would have a cluster of bird scooters discarded oh. on the pavement. <laughs> Just kind of scattered like an art project. <laughs> exactly. Did you ride one? No, I didn't. I. What stopped you from just picking one up? And <laughs> We had a car. <laughs> so. I understand scooter in San Francisco. Scooter in L.A.? 
What do you like? Ride, 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 ride. I mean, my friend that lives in San Francisco told me that he was scootering for 10 miles each day. Oh, my God. I also find the verb to be very confusing in these scenarios because all I want to do is call it scooting. Like, I just want you to go and scoot around. But I feel like scooters, my whole spiel with scooters is it makes a neighborhood more accessible when you live somewhere that isn't walkable. So, like, you can create like a neighborhood in a radius that you might not be able to walk to one in LA because it's super hot and two because it's like just too far that you could easily scoot to. But you can't scoot like Hollywood to Venice. No, but that's what I'm saying. Like it creates neighborhoods. Like you would not be traveling around LA on a scooter. You would be like going to dinner near your Airbnb or going to like it, it makes a neighborhood more convenient when you are in a city that's not built for walking. Well, maybe that's the next podcast. Scooter trips. (laughs) Scooter. LA to Venice. (laughs) Where to stop along the way. Yeah. This woman scooted the length of America. Yeah. (laughs) But did you build because i always i've never done this trip either and i think oh it would just be so fun to like do it and just drive and stop whenever i want but did you build in stops like did you have certain points planned or how did you do it so i wish i'd actually given a bit more time to the driving because we spent a few days in la and a few days in san francisco so they kind of bookended it Mm -hmm. and so we only really had two days of driving and part of that was because we really wanted to spend some time in both of those cities because they're both cities we really love and secondly there's only so many days that you can take off. But it did feel like we didn't have enough time. I didn't quite anticipate actually how long the drive was going to be in terms of if we wanted to make stops to see things and take our time. And we suddenly realized that we wanted to be in Big Sur by sunset because that's obviously something you don't mm, want to miss there. For sure. And so we were having to just shoot past towns that we wanted to check out just so we could get to that because mm. Big Sur really was the kind of Dream you part could, of the trip for me. There's also a lot of dead space, bet- not to criticize, but no, like, no, there's a lot true. of dead space between LA and San Francisco. It's about a six hour drive, and a lot of the, so there's really what like four or five points that are in the in the in that iconic sense. There's Monterey, maybe there's Carmel if you decide you want to go there. There's Big Sur, there's San Luis, um, and you know then there's isolated things that you could put on it, but those are the ones that like. So you, you don't necessarily need more than two or three days to do yeah, all that. It, it's true. And um, we did stop in Santa Barbara for lunch at what I had discovered was Julia Child's favorite um, <laughs> Mexican restaurant called La Super Rica Taqueria. And it's tiny. It was like a Monday. And there was a line down the street of people. I don't know. None of these people seem to have to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> It was absolutely delicious, so cheap. Oh, so good. Mexican food in California is so good. Yes, yes. Once we started getting closer to Big Sur, there was a point that was supposed to be like an elephant seal viewing point, and we stopped, and there weren't any. Um, they were all a bit bummer. <laughs> and then we're we, at Pier Thirty Nine. Yeah. For you. And then we drove ten minutes, and all these cars had been sort of left at the side of the highway as though an apocalypse had happened and everyone had fled for their lives and we looked down to the beach and there were all these people and then all these elephant seals so many of them and they are so huge and disgusting and amazing and it was like walking into planet earth um and you have to hike down was that like down from the road there was a path that went down and then there was a fence that definitely people weren't supposed to climb over that they climbed over that was when I was like, oh, okay, we're getting into sort of completely new territory that like, I haven't seen of this country before. The elephant seals? Just the elephant and, seal and park. The scenery, like, the temperature had dropped by like 20 degrees. Yeah. Um, and suddenly it felt like it was in, could have been in like a different country rather than just a different part of the state. And it also felt like we were standing in the middle of planet Earth except there was a girl leaning by one trying to take a selfie and I thought I was going to witness like a soon to be viral video. And you were so excited. <laughs> Rubbing Please. my hands together. <laughs> was there any explanation for the elephant seal phenomenon? Like, I mean, I know that they kind of swim around off California, but why that beach? What? I don't know, because actually it wasn't even the season where you're supposed to see them, um, which was why when we stopped at the viewing point, we were like, okay, well, it's off season, so it's not a surprise that they weren't there. So... 
Not quite sure why they were. They were trying to pick up a scooter on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> they would break that joke scooters. fell flat. <laughs> it was just the image. It was a joke. Oh yeah. man, forty-five. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so we're after. So Big Sur. Let, d- describe Big Sur. Well, I think I need to describe the drive up to Big Sur. Oh, sorry. I thought you just did. <laughs> no, that's before you even get into the part of Highway One that was closed. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Um. And so it's just like ramping yourself up. Sorry. Yeah. Elephant the seals elephant are seals. Just I was so excited about I the elephant seals. I you to experience this. <laughs> I was like, where can we me? go from here? <laughs> Nothing's going to top it. And yeah, and so suddenly the road gets narrower and it gets a lot twistier. And you are, I actually think you have to be a pretty confident driver to be able to do driving? this drive. I don't know. It was some crappy car that Avis ripped us off on. Oh, man. Not, not sure if I can mention the brand. <laughs> um, it was not a performance automobile. <laughs> you, did, you did not splurge for the, for the 45th birthday celebration with a no, performance automobile. I think you could describe our car as suburban. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a white knuckle drive. <laughs> it was slightly white knuckle. Even like the vegetation, it suddenly like changes. Um, it's so otherworldly there. And, um, what does it become like? Well, it's a, it's a lot more lush. It's not as dry as the re- you know when you're further south. And then you start getting like really thick forests appearing. Um, but there's this sort of very stark contrast to this like very rough, like deep blue ocean. And the beaches are very dramatic. And they're not swimming beaches. They're beaches to admire from afar. Is the water literally too cold to swim in? And also too rough. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's really... You don't have beaches with lifeguards, at least that I saw when we were doing that drive or where we stopped. And there's like a lot of riptides. I would not swim in those beaches. I think you would be dumb. It's all very <laughs> primal. It's, it, yeah. it's like suddenly you're, you're in Jurassic Park-ish. It, kind it, of, it, it, fe- it feels that way. It's sort of, and in, in some ways it sort of reminded me of Scotland and mm. the absolute wildness and ruggedness of it, even though the, the you know, it was a lot less rainy and gray. <laughs> And um, you also have this like extraordinary mist that rolls in. That's what I was going to ask. Is there fog? Or yeah, mist or and it was so much more impressive than I imagined or expected it to be. Yeah. Um, so And then we stopped for the night in Big Sur. Did you make it by sundown? Yeah, we did. And we watched the sun go down at this place called Nepenthe, which I think is a bit of a Big Sur legend. I think it was like once owned by like, it was like a cabin that was once owned by Rita Hayworth in the 40s and then was sold to the owners who turned it into a restaurant and a bar, and it has like the best sunset views you're gonna get. I mean, you'll pay an insane amount of money for a steak or a burger, but you're paying for that sunset and it's absolutely astounding. Like, it's so great. And is it like unobstructed horizon views? Oh, completely. Yeah, Yeah. you're just sort of on the edge of the cliff. Nice. And there's nothing there, there's, you know, it's not built up. You just have little cabins dotting the side of the road. So as soon as it's night, it's like pitch darkness. And where, is that where you were staying as well? Yeah, so we stayed in a, we rented a cabin um, at this like pretty no frills, but like very adorable um, place called Ripplewood Resort. <laughs> the website had definitely been made in like 1993. It was so great. It felt very authentic. And you had to go collect your keys from the grocery store. Um, <laughs> oh, that There was awesome. no lobby or anything. It yeah. was perfect. Like I was kind of, at first I was like, we left it quite late, so a lot of stuff was booked up. And at first, I was kind of sad that I hadn't sort of indulged in something more luxurious. But actually, this place was perfect. It felt like a proper Big Sur experience. Yeah, luxury isn't necessarily the Big Sur experience. No, no. I mean, I think most people camp. Yeah. Which I also was disorganized. I don't own camping. Things, so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so day two. Day one is get up to Big Sur, see some elephant seals, see the sunset. Mm-hmm. What do you do after that? Well... Big Sur has great hiking. So in the morning we got up, had a wonderful diner breakfast. I also want to add that at that point we were like so captivated by Big Sur that we were talking to our server at the diner um, and he was just like so serene and happy. And we were like, how long have you lived in Big Sur for? And he was like, 22 years. (laughs) Oh my God. Just like glided away. (laughs) This is where we have to come. <laughs> I know. It's like New York is destroying me. Cancel San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's great hikes in the area. So we um, spent the whole morning doing those. And we kind of, we did one hike and then we drove a bit further up the coast, did another hike, drove a bit further, dipped down to a beach. Oh my God. What's the name of the bridge? The really famous bridge. 
the bridge is called the Bixby Bridge, and you'd probably most likely recognize it from lots of like really beautiful photos of Big Sur, but also more recently from Big Little Lies. One could say more importantly, <laughs> <laughs> Lolly's Instagram was just like the soundtrack, and her like and Chris driving along. <laughs> the we did play it as we drove <laughs> over it, <laughs> and then kind of wound our way up to San Francisco. And what I actually didn't expect was the very final leg of the drive before you reach San Francisco was also incredibly scenic. Um, I think I'd been so focused on the earlier part of the journey that mm. I it like took me by surprise. And also, if you're doing that trip, don't just pack for LA like I did, so because <laughs> I then was uh, cold yeah. <laughs> for the rest of the time. Yeah, very different because you are going up the western side, so you're not going to be in the warm spots. You're going to be on the coastal route, right? Yeah, and the the beaches get really blustery. Yes, yes. The beaches in San Francisco are not necessarily as rough. I don't know if you guys went there at all, but they're not exactly like Big Sur, but they're rough and. But it was chilly yeah. on the beach that we went yeah we went to yeah. funston and uh whatever and, but it's good for like windsurfing and stuff like that but you're definitely wearing a wetsuit yeah i think it's not great if you just want to go and like get that view of the golden gate bridge yeah like we did <laughs> <laughs> okay and then in san francisco did you guys spend a couple days or we did so we stayed in the mission um got an airbnb there i had actually been to san francisco in 10 years so i was slightly apprehensive as to how much it would have changed because although Silicon Valley was definitely like in full swing there, I don't think it had really taken the hold 10 years ago that it has now. Yeah. But I was actually like, I say this as someone who parachuted in for two days. So anyone who lives there is obviously going to disagree with me, but on a very surface level, I was, I think I was expecting it to have turned into this very shiny techie city and it hadn't, it still did feel like the San Francisco that I remembered. Yeah. Um, which I was very happy about. Yeah. When I went there two years ago, I hadn't been in probably at least 10 years, maybe 15 years. And, you know, I think there's something about that city that's immutable. You know, the landscape, the architecture sort of stays the way that it was. It's the, it's the, I don't know what the right word for this is, but it's the soft culture that changes, not the, you know, and, and some of that, is visible and some of it's not visible. Some of it you have to kind of burn in a little bit longer to really know. That's kind of what I I figured was that the the differences that I wasn't seeing were sort of invisible to a visitor. Yeah, because I do hear from people who have been there for a long time that it has changed a lot, but I don't think it's as... Vi I think you're right. It's not as visible for somebody who comes through for a couple of days. Yeah. You, you can still get in touch with it. So you guys skipped like Monterey and... We did stop in Carmel. We chose Carmel over Monterey okay. because... A few people had told us to. Yeah. But I think maybe we just like did Carmel wrong. It was very pretty and the beach was beautiful, but it was like very residential. Mm. I think I was expecting again to kind of live out some big little lies fantasy <laughs> and like find that crazy place where they all drink wine in front of big fires. And I, I didn't really like have that. I don't know. I, I, we just kind of wandered around. We should have planned it better. We just kind of walked around and then got back in the car. <laughs> You're like, where are the big fires? <laughs> Where's Reese Witherspoon? <laughs> got my glass of wine. Well, it is, I mean, it is a small town, right? Mm. Like it, it does not read like a city, even a small city. So it, I do think there's no escaping that sense that, you know, there's like four, five, six streets and the beach and that. Yeah, which was lovely. It was great. Yeah. I think I was expecting to want to spend more time there. And yeah. A yeah. couple of hours was lovely. Yeah. Okay, great. So all in all, thumbs up on the, the PCH. Was it everything that you kind of imagined? And more. And more. It was amazing. Sounds like Big Sur really blew your mind. It really did. Yeah. yeah it was fantastic. Great. Everyone should go. Or not, but actually, because if too many people go, it'll get ruined. So some <laughs> oh, people go. I, I so think so the time, ship has Timed sailed. entry, guys. Timed entry. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people didn't know that the, um, the highway had reopened. So yeah. it was actually quite quiet. Yeah. All right, Catherine, Hello. moving east <laughs> across our great nation. Uh-huh, exactly. We all felt like one of the underserved regions of the country from a road trip perspective by the travel press Yeah, and whoever else cares about these things is the Midwest. I don't know. Is Minnesota Midwest? Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. I think big time. Right, <laughs> big time Midwest. <laughs> big time Midwest. <laughs> you own it. Go for um, it. So the road trip, you know, when we were talking about this package, it was like, yes, we should absolutely have one in Minnesota. And the one we went with was from Duluth. So up on the western side of Lake Superior, Minnesota actually has like the biggest portion of Lake Superior. Um, not that it's a competition. Not a competition or anything. But speaking of size, Minnesota is the 12th largest state. So it's actually a really big state. But in terms of population, not that many people are there. So this was a point I made. It's not, it's kind of a well-known road trip. But again, not, not that many people go to Minnesota. Yeah, Lake Superior. So basically, this is the most popular road trip Minnesota's North Shore. So like I said, it just goes along the western coast of Lake Superior on Highway 61. It's like one road. Bob Dylan fans will know. Yes. Highway 61 revisited, yes. which aha, let's start in Bob <laughs> okay. let's oh. let's start in Bob Dylan's hometown, Duluth. Really? Um, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he's from Minnesota. I okay. like you're about to on talk about I'm not even a bot. Like the history of Duluth. <laughs> Here's my TED talk. Well, <laughs> Duluth, Minnesota. Wait for it. I could. Um, so this drive is actually only like 150 miles. So you could just zip up Highway 61 along the coast. But the reason I love it as a summer drive is anybody that's looking for like this quintessential summer experience, Minnesota Lake Country, if you haven't done it, do it. And this is the road trip for it, right? So Lake Superior, obviously, the world's third largest lake. I'm just making that up. But I think it's at least in the country. Um, top, one of your top five lakes, for sure. Maybe top 12. Yeah, top 20, for sure. Top 30%. But I, I think it might be third. But anyway, so you start in Duluth, which is Minnesota's fourth largest city. Here's my PowerPoint presentation. But it's actually a really cool city. So it's on the water, and I like spending a day in Duluth for this road trip, right? So you have a lot of time to go to. They have lots of little cool bakeries and art galleries. Um, shout out a couple. Shout out a couple. One of my favorite is Lake Superior Bakehouse, which does a bunch of different stuff. You could eat every meal of the day there if you wanted to. Um, they do all sorts of like traditional cinnamon buns, but they do cherry cheesecake rolls and seasonal stuff. Duluth is actually a really great food city. Um, so another one of my favorite places there is called Northern Waters Smokehouse. And so all the fish that you can get from Lake Superior, they take it and they smoke it. And so it's this little deli where you can go and get a lunchtime sandwich. So you can get salmon, walleye, halibut, lots of those. No, salmon don't come from Lake Superior. But I was going <laughs> to say, I'm pretty sure that's an ocean um, There's also a barbecue place that I love called OMC, which stands for, ooh, no, it stands for Oink Moo Cluck, <laughs> so another <bad>. smokehouse. <laughs> it's pretty that bad. Makes but you like it so yeah. much less. Oh, I thought you were going to say more, and I was like, me uh, too. I, I like it more. Yeah. So I'll, I'll go with more. You can tell that you can get beef, poultry. What was the other thing? Pork. Moo. Pork. No, cluck. <laughs> Oink. <laughs> um, so I love just like allotting a day in Duluth for eating. And also Duluth, you have Bent Paddle, which is such an amazing brewery. And it's such a walkable city. So you're eating, you're drinking, you're walking around. Those are a few of my favorite Can places. Can you drink and walk? Uh, is it like New Orleans? No, no, it's not. This is, not is, like this is Minnesota, Brad. Brad. <laughs> I will say, though, Duluth, that like... the New Orleans of the Midwest. <laughs> just taking a shot. What do I know? I will say that the nice thing about doing this trip and a lot of the Midwest trips in the summer is that the weather there is going to give you the opportunity to be outside yeah. and out of your car a lot more than like the road trip that I'm going to talk about, which if you took it in the summer, you would yeah. probably faint. So I think that that's like... You have so much more opportunity, even though it's a super short drive, the one that you're talking about, that you can spread out over all this time. Like, there's so much to do outside of the car that you're also not going to, like, pass out from heat stroke doing it if you're in Minnesota in July. Good point. Because or August or September. No, I mean, average temperatures in Minnesota, like, you get a beautiful day, it's 83. It doesn't really get so hot. Um, at night, it does get colder, kind of what you were talking about, Lale. Um, but summer is the best time to do this drive. I like doing it in the fall, too, because foliage is incredible. You're driving along Lake Superior. You have all the trees everywhere. So then from Duluth... I would just take it slow along the coast. You're going to go to Gooseberry Falls State Park, which is a famous park in Minnesota, which is saying something. Um, the park has five waterfalls. Wow. So, you know, hiking, Which one exploring. has the gooseberries? <laughs> Brad. <laughs> Those are not facts gathered in the house. I don't understand. Yeah. 
The gooseberries are in the park somewhere. We're going to get so many corrections. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is all factual. The gooseberry thing, I don't know about. Um, oh, but there have to I mean, come on, there's gooseberries somewhere. Yes, I'm right? sorry. Isn't I don't that have like that information. thing? Yeah, gooseberries? gooseberry pie. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. The state for, food. Well, I know this from Gooseberry pie is oh, okay, more North Dakota, but yeah. Yeah, all right, fine. No, it is. That's the state food okay, of North Dakota. Okay, sorry. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but basically, like, going along the coast, Gooseberry Falls, you got Split Rock Lighthouse, which if you, you know, go to Getty and you type in, like, beautiful Lighthouse, Minnesota, this is probably what's going to come up. It's one of the most iconic places to stop and take photos. So I just like going there. They have beaches and great views. So then on the third day... This is three or four days, the third day. Um, I like starting with the Black Sand Beach. You might think those are Where only... we can I see, where, where, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have a do you have a place to stay that you like in, um, around Gooseberry Falls? Kind of what Lolly was talking about with a lot of these hotels. It's not like they're not super luxe places. You really want camping or sort of these cabiny places, which I love. And one that I really like is Cove Point Lodge, which is a three star hotel. Really nice. Every room has got Lake Superior views, so you can watch these sunsets and be right on the water. If you're really brave, you can go for a swim. Um, that'll wake you up. <laughs> um, then the next morning, I like starting the day at the Black Sand Beach. Um, and then from there, you can drive six minutes up the road to this place called Palisade Head, um, which is this landmark rock formation. It kind of looks like you go to the cliffs of Moher in Ireland, but not as grand. But it kind of looks like that. They jut out. It's kind of a steep drive to get there, but the views are, are totally worth it. Um, so then you're just going to keep driving. More lighthouses. More lighthouses. Um, stop in Grand Marais, which is this cute little town, and it's full of art galleries. Some of the ones I like are North House Folk School. Um, they actually have an art colony. So there are lots of little like places to souvenir shop and just walk around the town. There's also another brewing company there, so you can stop and have a drink and walk around. But not with the drink. Not with the drink, no. The thing about these towns is they're extremely walkable, right? Um, and so you can stop, go to the brewing company, walk around, sleep. Um, in Grand Marais, you can stay at East Bay Suites, which I like. They have fire pits and these little suites, again, all looking out on Lake Superior. That sounds so, great. Yeah, it fire, is. I love fire pits. It is really cool, um, especially if you want a little more time outdoors. <laughs> That's all Lolly wanted Lolly, in Carmel. Here you go, Lolly. <laughs> I should have gone to Minnesota. Our cabin in Vixa had its own fire pit, Ooh. which is great. There you go. Yeah. So fire pits here. And then um, the last day, you can take it a bit slower. You're going to go more lighthouses, Grand Marais. But you go to Grand Portage National Monument and Indian uh, Reservation, which is the full, long, official name. Um, but you can hike miles of trails here. Like all of these places along Highway 61, it's just sort of lined to the west by state parks and forests so you can go off and explore it and hike depending on what you're feeling um if you want to work off all the beer that we're talking about and then grand portage national park is kind of like your end point which is really at the northern end of minnesota you go i think it's like two more miles and you're in canada mm. so you've kind of stretched this um, northern part of the state and one of the prettiest stretches of the state so from there you just have to figure out how you're getting back, back, back to an airport back <laughs> You can do the drive the other way, but I mean, because then you're in Duluth, which actually has an airport, but you still have to get up to Grand Marais some, somehow and go down. But I like to do it this way because you start in a city. But again, theoretically, you could do it along the coast on the way up and then curve back more through Lake Superior Forest on your way back. Because there's lots to see off of Highway 61, but it's so picturesque that I just like staying on it and driving it and stopping in those little towns. Okay. That's a great one. Yeah. Don't do it in winter. <laughs> I mean, you. I would imagine. The reason is a lot. Yeah. A lot of these places are closed. It's really beautiful in the winter, but a lot of these places are closed. They're seasonal. Um, Northern Minnesota, that's kind of because it's par for the fucking course. fucking cold. Yeah, it's a little cold. Yeah. No? No, it is cold. Freezing. It's, it's, it's really freezing. what you wear, Brad. It's not about. <laughs> that's the, the Minnesota <laughs> attitude. There's no such thing as bad weather. Minnesota is basically Maine times 1.75, which is <laughs> too fucking cold. cold. Too cold. Yeah, too cold. Okay. Awesome. Okay, Mayor. So, so Duluth is not like New Orleans, but New Orleans is like New Orleans. New Orleans is like New Orleans. It's somewhat similar to New Orleans. <laughs> so, so moving again in our eastward direction, you're our Texas rep and cheerleader 
I am so just speak. general Southern cheerleader. Um, one of my favorite parts about like all of the road trips that we're all talking about is that you could actually like do them in one sitting and you like don't have to make a road trip out of them. But I think the most fun part of this is like stretching this like, you know, relatively short stretch of road into something really like long and special with lots of stops. So one of my favorite road trips and something that um, our one of our contributors, Ashley Halpern, wrote about for our like roundup of road trips that we we love right now is a trip that most people like actually take because they have to, not yeah. because they want to, which is New Orleans to Houston, which for the most part is usually just like a lots of families traveling around. You might, you know, if you're going up from Florida, like drive all the way across. And it is, you know, something that is going to take you a while. It's like 350 something miles, but you can stretch it out into five days. And I think that's like totally the way to do it. Start in New Orleans and in Houston and do kind of the same thing that Lale did with San Francisco and LA in like making an actual trip of both of the bookends of it. So spending a few days in New Orleans, a few days in Houston. And then from there, this is kind of like the opposite of Catherine's trip in that like you definitely shouldn't take it in the summer and you should definitely take it in the winter, October to March when humidity is lower and it's not 100 something degrees outside. So when you're starting in New Orleans, you like have had your whole New Orleans experience. You can listen to our travelogue episode about planning your first trip yes. to New Orleans. Yes. Um, so I'm not going to go into all of that. But if you don't want to grab beignets in the middle of everyone um, on your way out, Ashley really loves this place called Buttermilk Drop Bakery, which make these sort of like cakey donut holes that you can grab to go, which are like prime fuel for your first section of the drive, which isn't that far. So it's not far. a beignet proper. It's No, they're like, they're, yeah, cousins, you know. Yeah. Okay, so first stop on your way to Baton Rouge is the Oak Alley Plantation. I know that like plantation tourism comes with like a lot of really hard questions. And I think, you know, depending on what plantation you go to, they either handle their the reality of their history really well um, and the reality of the slavery that built a lot of them, or they completely ignore it. Um, and Oak Alley does a really incredible job of acknowledging and focusing on the lives of the slaves that lived and died there. Um, you also might recognize it from Beyonce's Deja Vu video, if you can remember back to early Beyonce. But you're gonna need to spend, like the drive isn't that long to Oak Alley, but you're gonna wanna like spend at least three hours there. So the biggest chunk of your day, that first day, is gonna be hanging out at the plantation and, and learning. And then you're gonna go to Baton Rouge, which I think is surprisingly the capital of Louisiana. I don't. I well, don't know. It like always surprises me that that's the capital. But the capitals are always not always, but frequently in yeah, like <laughs> yeah. these weird sort of off cities. Yeah. So, um, but Baton Rouge is not one that you typically hear is is a must see. So right. What's the so spend at least you're going to want to spend at least a day in Baton Rouge, maybe two nights, and you can stay at the Watermark Baton Rouge, which is this big um, hotel in a former bank building, and per usual the beautiful old Art Deco bank vaults have been repurposed um, for the hotel. And then from there, you're going to kind of want to just bop around the city. So go to the Shaw Center for the Arts. They have like this incredible calendar of events and art programming. So like when you're on that drive up from Oak Alley, like make sure your passenger is checking to see what's on the lineup. Um, and then for dinner, there's a new kind of like food market called White Star that has some really awesome Korean food and some great tacos at Chow Yum Fat and Government Taco separately, respectively. There's not Korean food at Government Taco. Okay. <laughs> and but I mean, that's kind of exciting because those are not... So this is like off the, right. off the Louisiana reservation food-wise. Exactly. And I also think that there are a lot of mix-ups and mash-ups of food in Louisiana. You know, Vietnamese food is really popular, especially in New Orleans. The banh mi and the po boy are very similar in a lot of ways. But yeah, Korean food, Tex-Mex, not exactly what you're thinking of when you're going to Baton Rouge. It ain't gumbo or jambalaya. Exactly. But you can get stuff like that at, I want to say it's called Bellews, B-E-L-L-U-E, apostrophe S, Bellews Fine Cajun Cuisine, um, which has been in Baton Rouge for like almost 30 years, and it's named after the owner, 
um, this guy, Wirt, who's a retired police captain who hangs out in He's the, there. Oh, he's there. So definitely, one, make friends with Wirt and get crawfish etouffee, which is just like oh, unbelievable. Love crawfish etouffee. Um, wait, to the uninitiated, what is that? So crawfish etouffee is basically a rice dish that is, it's made with a roux, of course, because it's a New Orleans thing. Or Sorry. Cajun. It's a Cajun thing. Okay. I I get my Cajun and my Creole mixed up, you know, relentlessly, um, even though multiple people have tried to straighten me out. And it's made with a bunch of veggies, which is like the New Orleans version of the mirepoix, which uh, is, I'm not even going to say, but it includes bell peppers, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's part of their thing. This is the version of it that I've seen. I'm sure there are multiple versions. I'm sure that uh, this is probably not even canonical, but... And so you like, it's basically just, it's not so much a stew as almost like a, a stir fry again, wrong word, but you know, you like put a it ratatouille. In a, no, it's no, literally it's like, it's based. like you have like a pile of rice mm-hmm. and then around it is like a saucy yeah. shellfish, crawfish, not, it's like more than a soup, but it's like still pretty liquidy yeah. and you just kind of like, all it, it, it all together. It reminds me of I'm sold. Thai, <laughs> thai dishes, like yeah. Thai okay. rice, di- like the Thai rice dishes, where you have a saucy, meaty, veggie kind of uh, thing that's mixed up, and in this case, it comes with the roux, which gives it this deep kind of flavor, you know, deep uh, roots of flavor, and the mirepoix, which is distinctly New Orleans, Louisiana, and, and then you know you get the sweetness of the crawfish coming through, which again is very distinct to that region. I don't know if they're, they're I'm sure you eat crawfish throughout the south but it's distinctively louisiana um and so really really good really really good yeah and i think that the nice thing is if you eat that for lunch then i would say like wait a little bit especially if you're going in the summer reminder don't do this in the summer but there's also like an 103 acre nature center called blue bonnet swamp which has like all these cypress and tupelo trees and raised boardwalks so when you want to walk off all this food that you've eaten um you're going to want to go there. Just, you know, make sure you don't do it like s- straight at noon, regardless of what time you go, because it's probably going to be pretty toasty. And I would say like this is one of those things where you have to embrace where you are. You have to embrace the swampiness. It's like when you go to the Everglades, like that's part of why you're there. But those trees are so beautiful. And that is such a different kind of landscape that you can't fight that kind of that part of its nature. Totally. Okay, so when when you leave, you're going to probably end up driving through more swamplands um, on your way over. Um, but that's like the way to really embed yourself in them and make sure you get out of the car to see them because the overpasses over swamps are not quite as beautiful. Yeah. So you're going to drive from there towards St. Landry's Parish, which is basically going to be your home base for exploring kind of all these areas before you get into Texas. I think in in this part of Louisiana, finding like a mid-range hotel or like even a luxury hotel is is harder because towns are fewer and farther between. So Airbnb is honestly the way to go here. There's like this kind of kooky tree house called the Bone Temps Tree House or Tree Room that's like covered in like Zydeco vinyls and they have a bunch of guitars and it's just like a it's a real vibe. Um, Sounds cool. and kind of like sets up the experience that you're going to want to be having and the hosts are really great and able to provide a ton to like a ton of extra um, suggestions if you haven't gotten enough uh, already. I mean, honestly, you can go just about anywhere. If you go to Lake Martin, you can go and canoe and kayak. You can go vintage shopping in Sunset. You can go to Lafayette and go to a Zydeco dance hall. There's just like literally there's just like so much to do and there's also so much to eat. You know, in the times that I have been here, like the biggest decision that you make and something that Ashley struggled with because she gave so many examples of places to eat is figuring out like that one place that you're going to stop. And that's another reason why you could say this of so many places, but it's like. If you're going to spend an extra day, like commit, that's why, <laughs> right? You like know? you're eating food, you're, you're there to eat. And it is one of the great food regions of the country. There are so many again, but if you want to really, you know, indulge in that, that's a reason to stay for another day or two. And I think that's kind of a winning point for doing these uh, slightly shorter road trips as well, because you don't enter those kind of food deserts that you do on a longer one where the oat along a highway, all you're going to get is rest stop food. Exactly. Well, and I think the crazy thing is, you know, I think most people think, oh, well, I'm going to, you know, 
southwestern Louisiana, like I'm only going to eat crawfish etouffee and po' boys and like the jam balls. were a bad thing. Right. But like there's a James Beard Award semifinalist in Lafayette. Like there, there's like yeah. quote unquote highbrow places to eat and have incredible food that is both like on the side of the road and like in a sit down restaurant. Um, so you can go to Bread and Circus Provisions, which is the um, place in Lafayette, which makes pizzas, oddly enough. And then there's just like so many other gumbo and jambalaya places just in all those towns, Lafayette, Sunset, that are really great to kind of explore and just jut out from in the day or two that you want to stay in that Airbnb. And then you're heading to Texas you have to make one stop before you get to Houston, and that is the Texas Travel Information Center in Orange because there is a huge Lone Star sta- like sculpture that is perfect for a photo op. I know it sounds really cheesy, but honestly, like everything's bigger in Texas, so of course there's a Lone Star sculpture that is absolutely enormous. Do they call it the BFLS? <laughs> Um, I don't think so, but I feel like you could make that suggestion to the uh, Texas Tourism Board. Texas Tourism Board does not give two shits what I think about their naming conventions. Um, you can also stop in Beaumont, um, which is like a half an hour west of the um, Travel Information Center for lunch. Um, the thing that Ashley really loved, um, which I've never had before, um, but I have been to Beaumont, is the Nut Pig Cuban, which is a sandwich at Amelia Farm and Market made with pasteurized pork that's fed specifically a rich pecan diet. Oh, God, um, I want that. It just like, sounds oh so God, incredible. It works really well with acorns in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it. it's like a you know one of those crazy... Texas meat things that you really just got to drive the extra half hour to go get. And then you're in Houston. And I think that, you know, I, as someone whose family is originally from Houston, you know, have had always had a hard time because growing up, we would only ever just like go hang out at my grandmother's and then we would drive back to Dallas. And I feel like I've only just come to terms with how awesome Houston is. There's so much art you can just like go to Rice University, which is on our most beautiful colleges in America list, and go see a James Charles Skyspace. It's like literally in the middle of campus. It's free. You just sit out there at sunrise or sunset, and you get this amazing art experience. There are so many James Beard nominees, Anvil, Pax Americana. Like, it's just so much more than Tex-Mex. It's so much more than highways. Like, you could make a road trip out of trying to get around Houston's neighborhoods, but I think that it's like worth staying at least a day or two. Stay at the Hotel Zaza. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, Houston just, is the stealth city. It right? is. Like, well, it's, it's like the like second the fastest, or third highest, like pop, most populous city in the U.S. Yeah, right? and it's one of the fastest growing. And I think that, again, like it's one of those sleeper melting pots that has like so many different cultures represented and nationalities and hobbies like it's beautiful there's kayaking there's like you know not hiking but there's a lot of walking trails there's so much art there's so much to eat the galleria is like the biggest mall i've ever been to in my life I haven't been to mall of america though so maybe setting myself up for a disappointment there but i just think it's like a really special place and is worth you know an extra day or two on the end and not just a flight back to wherever you're coming from i love this road trip because you get so much about New Orleans, you don't get as much about Houston. And so not to take anything away from New Orleans, because obviously it is a unique, amazing thing. But I love the notion of all that really cool stuff in between, which is so rich in culture and so rich in food. And so um, I think visually beautiful as well in a completely different way. It's one of those areas where the landscape is so foreign to people who don't live in the area. Yeah. So it's a really unexpected you know, if you're from Maine or you're from London or you're from North Texas, swamp land is not something that you're used to driving through and having elevated highways everywhere because it's just marsh underneath. I think it's just like a really crazy flat, but actually interesting flat yeah. uh, drive to do. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Northeast. So, northeast. So Brad's, um, Brad's time to shine, guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got to preface this by saying that just today, as we're recording this, Bon Appetit, our colleagues here at Condé Nast have released their hot list of best new restaurants in the United States. And they have named Portland, Maine, the 2018 Restaurant City of the Year. This is my hometown. 
or one of my hometowns. And I could not be happier, nor could I agree more. I was just there in July. And so the, the road trip that I wanted to speak about starts in Portland. So now you have even more reasons to go there. Um, and in fact, one of the things that is kind of startling about this town for me every time I come back to it is that it is so unlike the place that I grew up in, which was a very cute, very conventional kind of New England, you know, town. This was a long time ago. But this has all happened within the last, I would say, 20 years or so. Um, and it and it has accelerated. The, 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 you know, the first, I think, 10 years of that shift in Portland were very slow and were led by a couple of people, um, a couple of restaurateurs. And then it just gathered momentum such that now I can look at this list that Andrew, who is also spends a lot of time in Maine and, and um, actually gave me some of the suggestions that went into the road trip that I'm talking about here. Andrew Knowlton at Bon Appetit, who does the best restaurants list every year, the restaurants that they talk about uh, are ones I've never been to. And I go there every year and try to try new restaurants. So that's kind of amazing because it's a very small town. It I will, really is. I will also say that this might just be like my middle America, I don't know, young adulthood, but I didn't think of Portland, Maine as like any sort of like destination until I moved to New York and then was like, wait, why have like, why is this not a thing that more people are doing? And maybe it's just that driving there from the Northeast is the best way to see it, which I think is sometimes the case because there's so many stops within Maine that I think are so beautiful. But it's one of those things where I was like, oh my gosh, like all these people are missing out because they don't have any idea that this is like a total destination specifically for eating. Well, and because it wasn't, because right. when you went there before, it was like lighthouses and it was close to Kennebunkport and it was close to a, a few other things that the coast of Maine, basically. And you went there for cute sort of New England architecture and landscapes and stuff like that. You did not go there for food. It was not an interesting place. Boston wasn't an interesting place. Like it just, New England, you kind of wrote it off like clam chowder and lobster. And you know, the lobster thing has obviously been a main thing forever. But, and so let me start there because I don't want to, there's no way I can compete with the restaurant knowledge that you can find in Bon Ab's list. It's, it, you know, you find that online if you want to know way more than I know about Portland. But, you know, a couple of things that I wanted to flag that I was excited about based on the last couple of visits that I've paid are obviously Eventide Oyster Company is one that a lot of people know about. But I don't think you should let that dissuade you from going. It is crowded, but crowded in a Portland sense, which is not like a New York or a London, you know, or an L.A. sort of crowded sense. I would say go for lunch because I think that's a little bit more manageable. You can put your name in. You can go for a walk. The sort of downtown area of Portland is teeny tiny, and literally you can get anywhere within 20, 25, 30 minutes of walking, um, and which is the way that you want to do it. One of the things that my wife and I do, because uh, every year we go and we spend a, a day or two in Portland as we're visiting my family, which lives a little bit farther outside of the city, and so we'll go and we'll put our names in at Eventide and then we'll go to this place called the Portland Hunt and Alpine Club to get a drink. And this is a very non-main place. It's the, the, the decor is very sort of, I don't know if it's Norwegian or Swedish or what their, their kind of thing is, but it's that Scandinavian design sensibility. So it's very minimalist, kind of rustic. And it sits on this very cute plaza called Post Office Plaza that's just a picturesque place to sit and get a drink. And the drinks program at this place is super creative. And it's, you know, I feel like I go so many places that the bar program is focused around bitters, not bitters, the bitters, bitter things like Campari and, um, and other ingredients like that. And I, what I love about this place is that, yeah, they do some of that, but they also have a lot of drinks that are more bright and citrusy and play with different kinds of flavors. They have, we try a new thing every time we go in there because they have new stuff on the menu and they do a lot of original cocktails. And one of the ones that we tried had, it was a variation on the, the Tom Collins called a Lavender Collins and it was made with Aquavit instead of the gin that is conventionally in the Tom Collins. And that gave it like a completely different flavor profile, which is it was a really nice kind of, and is a Scandinavian nod, obviously, but it was still fresh and bright and really summery, which was the time of year that we were there. And then I think your dinner options in Portland itself, I love Central Provisions, which is, again, well-known. Sorry, I'm not being very original with that. 
but the place is really great with fish. It's really great with a small, it's a small plates kind of focused place. I also like Union, which is in the press hotel, which is a new hotel that was on our hot list, uh, I think a year or two ago. Really great hotel in the old uh, Press Herald building. And that's where you should be staying for your night or two in Portland. And the restaurant there is called Union. Um, it's very good. Uh, very, very fresh uh, uses, uh, very fish and vegetable focused. So, and I say all this because, uh, you know, the fact that you can get really great produce in Portland, Maine, which, you know, is a uh, weather challenged environment, let's just say. It's like a really nice way. It's weather challenged. Yeah. (laughs) Shit don't grow there, (laughs) basically. You know, I talked to the guy who's the, who was the chef um, named Josh uh, back in the day when Union opened a couple of years ago, and he was talking about how this restaurant community in Portland had developed. And I know I'm spending a lot of time on it, but again, it's like it has to be self-supporting. Like one of the things he talked about was how much members of this community leaned on each other and had created kind of a an economy of their own because again stuff just doesn't grow a lot in Maine the growing seasons are very short there's just it's not a plentiful place like California or the American South and so people really have to be creative and they put both pressure and competitiveness and support with each other in order to get stuff out of that and to really push each other which I thought was an interesting thing in a, in a place like that that is so where the environment's so stingy that kind of is how you get really creative interesting things done so after Portland, you're going to head up the coast, and um, you're going to go basically Route 1. The piece on the site gets in more detail about this, but I think Route 1 is the route that you want to take. There are two stops along the way that um, between Portland and Camden that I wanted to call out. One of them is the Owl's Head State Park, which has the Owl's Head Lighthouse, which is this very stoic, beautiful uh, the landscape is not stoic. It's that main kind of rugged coastline with the, a lot of green rocks, you know, kind of running down to the water. And the other one is a very, very isolated, not so easy to get to lobster shack called McLoon's, McLoon's Lobster Shack. It's on Spruce Head Island, which is, again, you got to see the piece. There's complicated directions to get out there, but it's worth the trek. It's on a spit of land, like a little tiny rocky peninsula. It's like this classic sort of family-run joint. There's a tiny little shack. You're going to get your crab roll or your lobster roll, and you're going to eat at a picnic table looking out on like just this incredibly picturesque main sort of scenario. But it's worth the hike. I, re- I mean, I think that's kind of what this is all about. So those are the two things that you need to stop and see on the way up to Camden. And then you've got Camden itself, which – you know, this is a known spot on the main coast, Camden Rockport. They are right next to each other. They're sort of synergistic and they're known for their kind of like postcard equality. And that is certainly true. I had never been there until a year or two ago. The thing that I didn't realize was that there's actually more substance there than I had expected. In fact, Lolly, you went to Night and Market in LA and that was the best Thai food. I think the best Thai food I've had in the United States was in Camden, Maine. And I live, I live half a block away from Pok Pok. So this is a, a little place called Long Grain and it's on Elm Street in Camden, which is a, you know, like little tiny small town drag. And what I loved about it was they didn't have you know, unlike Pock Pock or Uncle Boone's, they didn't have sort of like unconventional American Thai food dishes. They had most of those same dishes, but they were done in a much more handcrafted, thoughtful way using unusual ingredients that were very local. So like they had a, a, a main crab stir fried rice that was absolutely exquisite. Oh, that sounds so it good. It was so <laughs> good. And, you know, it was just, again, the way it was put together, it was nothing you'd see fried rice on every Thai restaurant in the United States menu. It was just so well done and so specific that it really changed the dish for me and like made it fresh again. And I think that's what they did with their curries. They did that with all of their different things. And it's also a very low key, mellow kind of space too. Like you don't feel like you're in a place that has an overriding concept. It's like 
we just wanted to do some cool shit and we really care about what we're doing. And that was one of the things I loved about it. And I loved the against the grain nature of it. It's like Thai food in Camden. You know, this is like lobster central. So fuck that. We're going <laughs> to do some Thai food. Um, and I love that about it. The other thing I discovered there that I really loved and have, have remained in love with since is this place called Seabags. Now, this is not the only place you can find Seabags. Um, they also are in Portland. It is a Maine-based company, though. And what they do is they make... Um, bags and other things like carrying cases type things um, very very small inventory of things out of old used sales and so they're basically doing these very they do these very very cool designs but then they leverage the sales themselves and so you can see the wear and tear that was there when the sales you know were actual sales <laughs> moving ships around or boats around or whatever and and they look really cool because they're very thoughtfully designed but one of the things I love about them I bought one when I was there my wife and I have two of them because she fell in love with the designs of them but they're also incredibly rugged because they're made out of sails and so they're waterproof you can take them to the beach I hauled one of these things around Greece and it just was sturdy as hell and it's become my airline carry-on like bag now because it's so tough and the place to get a drink there too because Camden Harbor is this gorgeous little harbor that you really like again you've seen tons of postcards of it but you have to walk around it you have to spend some time in the park and you have to go get a drink at this place called the Rum Line which Knowlton Andrew Knowlton hooked me up with um, you know, it's not a mind-bending kind of bar, but the location is right on the water. So it's kind of spectacular in that regard. And you know, getting there will force you to walk around the harbor, which is a great thing. And then I would say sit at the bar because the bartenders are super pros and, like, they're going to hook you up. And um, it's a great place to see it. And most everybody else is going to be sitting at the tables because they want the view. So it's a great way to get both of those things. And then the next day, you're going to head up to Bar Harbor. And again, Nothing new about Bar Harbor, but Bar Harbor is on Mount Desert Island. It is where Acadia National Park is located, and Bar Harbor itself is a beautiful, beautiful little town on a beautiful, beautiful little harbor that is just quintessentially Maine, quintessentially New England, and it really is a place where you can see how the coastline of Maine is just insanely ragged and just rock ridden. Um, and the town itself, the place, there, there are a couple of options for where to stay. I think the big kind of bombastic, grandiose, old school place is the Bar Harbor Inn, which is right on uh, the sort of point of the harbor. And it has these big, beautiful kind of buildings that are sitting right there. It has fire pits that are right on the Got a lot of good fire pit. Yeah, I mean... A running I, we, theme. <laughs> we didn't stay there. We, wa- we walked by it, and I was like, oh, God, those are the best fire pits, like, ever. The thing about the hotel itself, you know, it's all about location and that kind of, like, old-school, kind of, like, big in sort of, um, you know, vibe. But we stayed at this place that was a little further down and much more intimate and kind of New Englandy, quaint, which is called the Balance Rock Inn. Balance Rock is this, it's, it's literally a rock that looks like it's balancing on this little thing and the inn is up kind of behind it um, on the beach. But it has this sort of sweeping lawn that feels very genteel and very lovely. And it has a really nice, small, but very cool kind of pool situation happening. And then you're there for the for the kind of quaint New England vibe, and then it kind of has all that. Well, and I feel like one of the reasons that you want to make sure that you stay and spend the night in Bar Harbor and then wake up at the crack of dawn the next day is that the first place the sun hits the U.S. is Acadia National Park. So Cal-like going up, Mountain. so going up and waking up. I'm talking real early, guys. Grabbing the car that you road tripped in and going into the national park, driving up to Cadillac Mountain, hiking it. To, if you want, um, but you can also just drive up to the parking lot and making it there to see the sunrise over all of the continental U.S. I think is a really special thing to do, especially if you're making the bucket list trip to already be out there. It's like, what are you doing if you don't do that too? Yeah, and I was surprised by how short the distances are between all of these things. It's it's, it's like lightning fast to get from like the Balance Rock or the Bar Harbor Inn into the park itself super fast I'm, I don't know it's two two miles or something like that and then to get to Cadillac Mountain you got to do that the park drive loop but that doesn't take very long it's like six I don't I'm probably I put it in the article I don't even remember it's like a few miles it's not very long and then you're up at the top of the mountain and it's like the sweeping views that you get from up there are astonishing it's gorgeous you can see the entire harbor you can see the town down there it's like just mind-blowingly cute 
and in, but also majestic in a certain kind of way. The other two things that I would call out about that are the shore path, and it runs along the coast. Like it's very well manicured, clearly well thought out. It's about a mile and a half long. And it is the most exquisite view of the harbor, and you, it's just a very nice, elegant, genteel little walk along the harbor in front of all these places. It'll take you in front of the Bar Harbor Inn, it'll take you in front of the Balance Rock Inn, and it'll take you all along the rocky coastline that's there that's just sort of perfect. So kudos to the town for putting this thing together. Um, it was very relaxed and, and a really wonderful example of that. And then I think Acadia is where you go. And in Acadia, you've got – I was shocked by the sandy beach – which is a sandy beach, um, not a common thing in Maine. And there were tons of people who were there just for the beach, you know, like a day at the beach, which it was an excellent version of that. And then I think you got Thunderhole, you got the Otter Cliff, Echo Lake, all of these things are kind of classic. Um, I like the hikes around Cadillac Mountain and the top of Cadillac Mountain. I thought those were really cool. They'll take you through. There's a hike on the south uh, rim of Cadillac Mountain that will take you through a bunch of different landscapes, forest and like very rocky volcanic stuff that was very cool. Um, and then you got to finish up with um, popovers. At oh my God, popovers, <laughs> a discovery of mine. And they are so good. They're sort of like a Yorkshire pudding, but it's sweet. But the, but, the, but the American version. Yeah. <laughs> so naturally sweet. So naturally sweet. <laughs> so good. And there, there's this place called Jordan Pond House, which is close to the Cadillac Mountain part of the drive that you take through Acadia <clears throat> and uh, obviously you don't have to stay on the drive like but if you're doing it in one day you got to kind of stay on the drive because you got to work your way through and they make it very easy for you to do that and the Jordan Pond House is close to the place that you're going to end up and so it's a nice place to stop their conventional thing is popovers and tea I did popovers and beer because it was super hot and because I like beer <laughs> <laughs> but popovers and tea I'm sure is lovely um and it ain't fine dining necessarily, but they do have this one little thing that they do, and it's pretty good for that, and the setting is lovely. So that's a great place to end up. Then you drive back. Then you've, then you've done Maine. Then you, no, well, well you, not really, yeah. but you've done part you've of done, Maine. You've done some amazing coastal right. Maine, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, All right. That's it. Four Maine guys that we're doing right now. Well, I just got back. Love it. Yeah. Love it, love it. Love All right. It. I want to go back. <laughs> Already. To Big Sur. <laughs> For 22 so nice years. <laughs> yeah. Elephant seals. Did you take a selfie with an elephant seal? No, I'm not that person. Okay. I took a lot of pictures, though. Okay. Thanks. They every sorry, they just had really big jaws. I wasn't going to take a <laughs> selfie with one. They had really big jaws? Massive. Look them up. <laughs> Look, Google elephant seal. Yeah. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. We are on iTunes. We are on SoundCloud. Visit us at cntraveler.com, uh, where you can wish Lale a happy 45th birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and uh, you can also find our past, present, and future of the Great American Road Trip Report, which was edited by our own Meredith Carey. Thank you, thank you. Did a great job. And you can find all of this stuff and actually quite a bit more. There's a lot more about road trips and a lot more regional road trips. Mayor, what's going on? I got both of you here. I don't know if this has happened in a long time. What's up with women who travel? Well, uh, like I probably said last time, we're not stopping. So we used to have seasons. We used to take breaks. Now we're just rolling with it. We've got so many amazing episodes lined up. We have a few that we're super excited about that just went up. Including this week we had Jen Rubio, one of the co-founders of Away Luggage on, which we were super excited to pick her brain about how she managed to come up with that the, must have been a the, love fest like no. like from the get-go lolly and i made it very clear that we both really love away um but i think it's really crazy in an industry that has pretty much stayed the same there's like super high-end thousand dollar beautiful luggage and then like the stuff you get either from your parents or from whatever i don't know store you grabbed luggage from and i think that they're really revolutionizing the way that people buy luggage on purpose. Um, I mean, can you imagine designing something that you then see in every single airport you're in all the time? All the time. All the Do you time. guys see them everywhere? Oh everywhere. my God. I feel yeah. like I can recognize them right away. And now there's a whole string of imitators that have come oh, yeah. along. I can oh, totally. recognize the, the, the way knockoffs. Yeah. And I think, I think that that, like, again, like for two quite young female founders to have like seen such a huge gap in the market that people are responding to so well, I think is, is a really special moment for travel and I think makes a big statement about 
like the priorities that we all have. Awesome. Yeah. Great. So go subscribe to Women Who Travel and listen to uh, their interview with Jen Rubio. Um, the other exciting thing that we have kind of coming up is that if you want to listen to more podcasts or more specifically this podcast, Talk About Road Trips, we're actually on our way to having a live travelogue taping at South by Southwest next year, and we need your help. You got to vote. You got to vote. You got to get out there and you've vote. You got to get out there and vote. You've heard our podcasts about things you should never do on an airplane. You've heard our podcasts about things you should never do in a hotel, right? They're beloved and hated. And we're going to do a podcast at South by Southwest, or we are proposing to do a podcast at South by Southwest where we talk about not the where of the road trip, but the how of the road trip. And what you're doing wrong with that how. <laughs> when you're in that car. <laughs> I like, will be there as passenger. <laughs> Lale is going to represent as person who never drives. And is that okay? <laughs> but so we need your help to help us get there to do our live taping. We're going to have audience engagement. We're going to take questions. We're going to talk to people in the audience. Go to panelpicker.sxsw.com slash vote. And that's going to bring you to the big page with all the possibilities on it. You go to the search box, which is at the left side of the page, and you type in road trip. And we will be the first thing that you see there because we're that awesome. (laughs) And it's going to say travelogue rules of the road trip. This is your chance. We know you want to hear us. We know you want to contribute to what are the rules when you're in the car, when you're in the van, when you're in the truck or the bus or whatever it is. The boat. I don't know how you road trip. <laughs> I don't want to be judgmental. Um, this is where you get to contribute. So go in there, click on the travel log rules of the road trip, and let them know that you want us to be able to do that podcast there. And we would greatly appreciate it. We will, I don't know, say thank you. <laughs> and we will shout out many things in, in compliment of you while we are doing the podcast while we're there. Um, And in fact, you should go to South by Southwest and come and attend. So go vote for us. Travelogue rules of the road trip, South by Southwest. We are at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube and CN Traveler on Instagram and Twitter. And please do tweet at us. Let us know what your favorite road trip is. And if we missed a spot on one of these road trips that you really love and that you think is worth checking out, please let us know. We will relay it to our vast ocean of <laughs> CN Traveler followers. And uh, do send us feedback, review us on iTunes. Uh, Mayor, where can the folk find you? You can find me complain about things that I missed or mispronounced at Oh Hey There Mayor on Twitter and Instagram. And Catherine? I'm on Twitter at KJ LaGrave. Lale? And you can find me at Lale Hannah on Instagram. And I am at Bradrick. Have a great weekend, everybody. Get out there and have yourself a four-day road trip. 